All right, uh, we're talking about heaven's Christmas gift this morning. And um, by the way, I was in this text on Sunday night, last Sunday night, and uh, some of you weren't here, some of you were. But um, uh, this uh, Sunday night, actually, I'll be away tonight, and we have a cantata that we're going to that our daughter's singing in. And uh, John offered, I didn't ask him, he just offered. He said, I'll take Sunday night for you if you want to go to that. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, John for being willing to do that and uh, allowing us to go as a family so appreciate you guys for that and all of those things so and I'm glad again that our in our church we can call on all kinds of different people to fill those roles of sometimes they're public roles sometimes they're things behind the scenes I've had people come up and recently several that have come up and said add me to the cleaning list so that's a good you know amen I got another couple that wants to be involved in that that talked to me last night about that. So make sure I remember to do that and get them on the list. So all those good things. Anyways, we're going to talk about heaven's Christmas gift. And we were in this passage in Galatians chapter 4, talking about the virgin conception last Sunday night. And then in the Sunday morning last week, we were talking about Christmas doubts. And so I'm trying to weave all these things together. But um, one of the things we talk about at Christmas, of course, is giving, right? And gifts. Uh, I think that's, as a child, the, the big thing you always look forward to is Christmas because if you're going to get gifts during the year, it's usually your birthday and on Christmas, right? And Christmas was always an exciting time in our house, both growing up and then years later when we had our own uh, children and we would gather and open up those gifts and do that. And sometimes we, we give, uh, and I, I've sort of reached that role in my life where now we are sort of the ones that, well, we're, we're past our, well, we still have one person at home that's, a, that's a, under the age of 18, but we uh, are sort of past those days of as little kids gathering at, you know, like 5 a.m. or something, wanting to open up their Christmas gifts, and you're trying to get an extra hour of sleep or something. Um, but at the same time, now I've got grandkids, and they're there, and we're enjoying that aspect of being like celebrating Christmas as grandparents and enjoying those things. But giving, it's a big thing. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's from Acts chapter 20, verse 35, quotation of Jesus. And I, I want to say that is how that is a, a, the most effective, is when you receive the gift that Jesus has given. And we're going to talk about heaven's gift today. I don't know what you've picked out for your family or for someone in your life, maybe as a Christmas gift, but have you ever thought about what God has picked out for all of us as his gift? And the Bible talks about that. We're going to be, and, and by the way, um, when we think about giving, often, and I don't know why I have that verse, sorry about that, going ahead in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, in Galatians chapter 4, in this section, it talks about how God gave his son and why. And we're going to look at this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful again for your word. We pray even now, Lord, as we look into it, you would just teach us as only you can teach us, O Lord. Help us to 
certainly receive and understand the gift of your son and what that means. And we thank you for this time of the year where we focus on him and we can focus on the greatest gift ever received and ever sent. We ask that you would do your work as only you do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in this uh, section. If you want an outline uh, and you're looking at heaven's gift, God's gift really, we can see, first of all, God has a mission of giving. God's mission of giving. A mission is something when you're on task or you have something that you're directed to do and you complete that. And we see that God was the very first one to ever be on mission. And he has commissioned his followers to also be on mission. But it was really God who began to um, do those things. And it was God who had all of this in mind before we were ever created. The Bible says, but when the fullness of the time had come. And I like that because the, according to the Apostle Paul here, as he's writing to the church in Galatia, one of the earliest writings of the New Testament is the book of Galatians. And as Paul writes to these churches in the province of Galatia, and he refers to Jesus, he talks about the fullness of the time. And there's a lot that's wrapped up in that little phrase. It really means this, that at the very exact right moment in history, in our history, God entered in and he sent forth his son. It wasn't too late. It wasn't too early. It was at the very perfect time. I often thought about that. I, I think we are blessed in this age that we live in, in that we live in a time where We have relatively, well, we live somewhat free of diseases, not like the past, that's for sure. When you walk through some of the cemeteries in um, the older sections of the cemeteries and you see all the children that are listed there and a lot of them dying of diseases that now we just take for granted. And I realize there's still disease, there's still death by disease, That's, that's true, but in this modern age, we have a lot better ways of treating things. People used to die from simple infections. Now we have a whole host of antibiotics we can take, those kind of things. I would say this, that today it is far easier to deliver a baby and even in a, in a time where you have access to places where a baby can come into this world and have all kinds of uh, specialized treatment and all of that. In years past, that wasn't the time. And yet God chose a time in the world when there wasn't a lot of that. He chose a time to send forth his son, uh, born of a virgin, and he sent him in the perfect timing of human history. Obviously, it was the time that was needed. And I won't go in to try to pretend I know the mind of God, why he chose then, other than to say it was a unique time in human history. It was a time, for instance, they often talk about a time when, for instance, there was uh, religiously things were going on in the world. There was a great shift in religions that were happening. And God sends forth his son in a time where people perhaps were more open to other views and points of view. A more pluralistic society in many ways. The Jews, there were several sects of Jews that were looking for Messiah. And they were ready at that very time. 
There was, of course, the creation of the synagogue during that time and schools of religion among the Jews. And so people were learning the stories of the Old Testament and the prophecies of Messiah, and they were learning them in the villages. Before that, they had to go into Jerusalem, to the temple, and to the schools that were there. But now they were learning it right in their own neighborhoods, the word of God getting out. Culturally, it was quite a time. At that time, just a couple hundred years before Jesus came into the world, about 300 years before Jesus came into the world, the Greeks had taken over most of that part of the world, the civilized world as they would call it, and they brought the Greek language. In the Greek language, I mentioned that, maybe it was Sunday night, a very precise language. And he and the Jews themselves had been speaking Greek and learning Greek and so were the Romans, and so were the other uh, peoples out there. It was the language of the common person, Greek. And it was there. And all of a sudden, for the very first time since the Tower of Babel, you had a common language that people were engaging in in the marketplace and elsewhere in schools and whatnot. It was often called also... Uh, We talk about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was a time in human history where the Roman Empire had come in and conquered these lands, but they had brought a semblance of peace. There wasn't great conflict going on, not displaced populations. People were stable that way politically. It was also a time of what they call Lex Romana, the law of Rome, a time where there was a common law that stretched across an empire. And although it wasn't always enforced uh, equally and there were times where there was persecution that would arise, but people generally under Roman law lived a better life because it was not chaos and anarchy. It's always better to be under law that way. And then they often talk about Rio Romana, which is the roads of Rome. The roads of Rome, the roads that connected the whole empire. They had, Rome had come in and at great expense and at hard labor, they had built these roads that to this day, by the way, there are many Roman roads that still exist out there that you can still travel on. Some of them have been maybe paved over, but the actual cobbles and gravel and everything they placed in the, it was quite a, an ordeal. They're still there, and many of the modern roads, like for instance across Britain today, are Roman roads originally that were there. And if you dig down, you, you come across that. And they connected an empire. And they also would later allow the early Christians to go out under the Roman peace and the Roman law and the Roman road and go out into the far corners of that and reach a whole generation of people. We are beneficiaries of that time. There are many reasons why it was the fullness of time. I also think it was the very moment in time that God had picked even before there was a world. The Bible talks about that. And we know that he did that. And by the way, He is the creator. The Bible in in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, same one who wrote Galatians, talks about Jesus as the great creator. And yet he is the one, and that's what's the neat mystery of the incarnation, a mystery that has been revealed, it's not something secret now, but that God, the eternal creator, would put on flesh, the incarnation. And he would come and dwell in his creation. He who was outside of time put on time. 
and had a date of birth and had a had our calendar is based upon his birth think about that colossians chapter 1 refers to him says he is the image of the invisible god the word for image means the exact replication the exact uh he is the exact image he's not like all of a sudden created like in the image of god that way but he is god when you looked into the face of Jesus, you were looking into the fleshed face of God. Think about that. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that his birth was the first one of all creation, but rather he is preeminent in creation. He is different. He is the one... And that word firstborn is a very important word, even in the Greek, very precise. Meaning that he and his birth, his entrance into creation is different and better than every other birth that's ever taken place. In Sunday school, we sing a little song we, 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 when we have our birthday wishes uh, in Sunday school on our opening. And we say happy birthday, the traditional happy birthday. But then our second verse says happy birthday to you. And it says only one will not do. Born again means salvation. How many have you? You know, every single person who's born into this world, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, the Bible says, and we're sinners, we're in Adam's race. And we needed someone who would be born into our race of people who could save us from our sins and yet not have original sin tainted in his body. And that's the whole story of Jesus entering into this world. He is the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things consist they literally are sustained the very reason that we are in a room here breathing air and it's not just flying apart because matter's not flying apart you're sitting on chairs and other things the floor holds you up and the air you breathe is in a certain molecular form and it doesn't just fly apart into its basic elements and the reason being is he consists or he sustains everything oh i'm glad i don't know how to do that but he does i'm thankful for that Not only is he the one who inhabits eternity and he is the one who makes all things and and all things consisting by him, but Jesus is also the one who was slain before the foundations of the earth. You see, this was God's plan. The fullness of time was all part of his plan. In the book of Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before or slain from the foundation of the world. There it's referring to people who are not going to be worshiping God. But that second part of that verse where it says the book of life of the Lamb. And look what it says. Slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was light in this universe. It was already predetermined exactly where, where and when and how Jesus would be born into this world. How the Son of God would enter in. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 talks about God's plan. And it's not by man's plan. 
See, we would devise a plan that involved uh, some payment for things, or we would come up with some creative ability to make some temple or things like that. And Peter reminds us that's not how you're redeemed or how you're saved. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. My friends, do you see that? Do you see how he was on mission? And he was the one who came up with the plan, and he's the one who completed the plan. The object of his mission, by the way, was that he might redeem us. Galatians 4 5, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption uh, as sons. And that's all part of God's plan. You say, why did Jesus come at, into this world that Christmas day, whenever it was? It most likely wasn't December 25th. It was probably in the spring of the year. But we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly when Jesus was born other than the fullness of time. At the very right moment. It would make sense that it's the spring of the year. And even in the early centuries of Christianity, that was traditionally uh, where they dated the Christmas story. Somewhere around that time when lambs were giving birth. Because he was the lamb of God, right? And it would make sense that, that in keeping with that type, that maybe he would be born at that same time. When shepherds were watching their sheep in the, in the fields at night. They were doing that. But in reality... The reason he came was to redeem us. That means to buy us back. It's an interesting word, the word redeemed. Think about that. It's a word that, um, it's unique in many ways to the Bible. But, and it comes out of a story in the Old Testament of redeeming somebody out of slavery. And it involved paying a price for someone to buy them out. And that's where the word comes from. And it's understood as such, biblically like that. We still have the word used like when you bring your bottles and cans to the redemption center. Someone buys them back, ascribes a value to some crushed up little soda can or beer can or whatever it is, and says, I'll give you a nickel for that. Doesn't matter what it comes, what form it comes in, as long as it's there, they'll buy it back. And it's the idea of redemption, buying back. You're worth more than a nickel, I hope, Right? You're worth God's very life. (laughs) That's the price of your redemption from slavery and sin. Not a light cost, is it? Redemption. To redeem those who are under the law. And what that means basically is this, that the law, and it's referring to not the, the Lex Romana, the law of Rome, but rather the law of God. That we are under the law, the Ten Commandments. Think of the Ten Commandments and the other laws. And people were under those things. And it really means this, that you were condemned under the law. Because that's what the law does. The law never rewards you for keeping it. It only condemns you when you break it. When you look at the Bible and it says, Thou shalt not steal. 
And you say, have I ever stolen? Have you? That's a good question, isn't it? Some people maybe can say, no, I've never stolen anything. But, but have you not maybe stolen something in your life? That's between you and God and maybe someone that maybe you stole it from. And if you get caught, you might end up with the consequences of man's law. But you know, if you've stolen time from someone because you wasted your time, maybe at work or something like that, you know, that's a form of thievery. You've broken one law. Guess what? You break one law, you're, you've broken them all. The Bible talks about that. If we break one, we break them all. I'm thankful that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 You see, sin separates us from God. And the Bible says if you've broken even the least of His commandments, you've broken them all. We might not think of stealing something like something maybe you stole a pen from so, you know, somebody's desk and you just forgot to bring it back. Something like that. Uh, it might be a little different there, but and that might not be akin to murder. You know, I didn't murder anybody, so I'm not really a bad sinner. But maybe I stole a few pens in my life. We think that way. But the Lord says, if you broke one, you've broken them all. You're as guilty as a murderer. You're as guilty as an adulterer. You're as guilty as someone who has put other gods before the one Lord. And I would say you... I'm saying me too. We're sinners. And we need a savior. We need someone to redeem us from, from the slavery of sin. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Came to give his life a ransom for many. And we see the outcome of his mission. You know, his outcome was a good outcome. Sometimes I set out to do things and I don't finish it. I don't know if you have any projects like that. I've got projects. I, we always do. Um, there's things that I said, oh, I'll paint that, and it's still unpainted. you know, Or I'll fix that, and, and it's still there. And I know some of you women are looking at your husbands. You have a list like that too, and I know it. That's the way we are. But you know, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, and he finished it. John 19.10, I love this. This is one of the seven statements from the cross. It's the last statement of Jesus before he died. And look what it says. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. In the Greek, it's one word. <laughs> finished. And it's a finished. And in the, the, Remember I said in Greek, a very precise language. The word that was chosen for the Greek word is a finished with a completed action that extends into the future. Forever. It was finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The Bible talks about that. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, Not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You see that little phrase, once for all? I can't emphasize that enough. That salvation... And the accomplishment of salvation for anybody who will believe was done and is finished. And it never needs to be done again. And there's such a restful attitude in that when you understand it at its theological level. That God has completed the work in Jesus Christ. And when he said it's finished, it was finished. 
I don't have to go again and again and offer up other sacrifices. I don't have to pay penance for my sins. You can never pay enough penance, by the way, for your sins. You don't have to give up stuff for Lent or for something to pay for your sins. It was finished. Hallelujah. It was finished. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then again in Hebrews chapter 10, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And again, says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, he had, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Oh, there's so much truth in those. I mean, it's all truth. But just so much that you could just park yourself on and think about. That if you are a Christian, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, He has forgiven you of your sins, and He has sanctified you presently, and it's a process of sanctification that lasts forever. Because it's held by Him and not me. And it's His action that completes it, not mine. He wants us to live for Him. He wants us to live obedient and holy, and not grieve the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But... Nevertheless, understand this. If you're one of His, He's working in you. And it's His work. Well, we see God's mission of giving. We see God's ministry of giving. Ministry. Ministry is when you're serving. And I I like that because you go back to Galatians chapter 4. And it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, Look what it goes on to say. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know, I highlighted those pronouns. And... They're personal. The you, your. Um, I, I like that because we, he refers to that as well. And I just put it this way, my friends, is that understand that he's a personal God and he personally wants you involved in this, what we call the act of salvation. It's an invitation for you. And it's as simple as this. Uh, the, you've heard this analogy before, but... If you wake up on Christmas morning and you go down there and there's a Christmas tree and there's a gift under that tree and it has your name on it, what do you have to do to get that gift? You have to receive that gift, right? It has to be given to you or at least the timing and all that. But then you have to open it up. I suppose you could go and say, well, what a beautiful Christmas tree and beautiful gifts uh, wrapped up there and I'm just going to leave them there till next year. Or maybe I'll just leave them there from here on out. Why do it? I don't have to shop again. Well, that gift would mean nothing. It's wrapped up. It's in a box. It may be a wonderful gift. It may be an expensive gift. But it does not benefit you or the recipient until it is opened and received. And God says, here's my gift of salvation. It's here. 
It's the most expensive of all gifts ever. It cost God the Son his very life. Wow. You thought your Christmas bill was hard. Well, listen, you'll never outspend the Lord on that. It cost him his very life. And he wraps it up in flesh, in the person of Jesus. And he walks this same walk that we walk, tempted in every way like we are, and yet without sin. There's a difference, you see. I'm thankful that the gift is a universal gift offered. Not everybody receives it because they don't want it. But if they understood what was inside that gift, what it, what it would bring them in the peace and joy and forgiveness and the change of heart and direction for eternity, oh, they would want to line up to receive him. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who th- uh, uh, thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's, one of the, that's really the last of the invitations in all the Bible. And it comes down to the last chapter of the Bible. And it says, are you thirsty spiritually? Come to the Son. Come to the Savior. And it's there. It's a gift that anybody can receive. It was a peculiar kind of ministry too. In other words, a one of a kind. God's gift is unique. It isn't something that is repeated. It was when the fullness of time had come. That's when God sent forth his son. And that was the exact moment. You'll never get a better gift. You'll never get a lesser gift than Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I highlighted the word only begotten. And that word means one of a kind, unique. You see, His Son is different. He's different because He's always been the Son. He's eternal. He's always been the the eternal Son of God because you cannot have an eternal Father without an eternal Son. He's always been God. Son denotes not origin, but rather relation. Just that's the theological understanding of it. And it is a term uh, that is different than all of us. I'm a son. I have an earthly father. And I was created in a union between my mother and my father. I had an origin. So did you. Jesus didn't. He's the only begotten son. Unique, different. And he's the only gift. And his gift is unique. And it's better than any other gift. Why? Well, to redeem us, right? To redeem us. Galatians chapter 4 verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, as you receive the gift, you also are able to receive the adoption part of it. Not only do you receive the standing of rightness with God, because your sins are removed and forgiven and you're justified, meaning declared righteous, but you're actually brought into the family of God. There's so much more than just 
uh, joining a club, <laughs> as some people think Christianity is about. No, you get a big family, a big family. Oh, I'm thankful for that. We are now part of that. And look what he goes on to say. And because you are sons, in the word that is chosen, by the way, for the word sons, and it means an adult son. And, and this is the idea that when you become a believer and you, you receive the gift of salvation and you receive that by faith, that's all you do. You say, I trust you, Lord. And Please forgive me of my sins. And he promises he'll do that. And he gives you these things. But one of the things is a standing before him as an adult son. And you see in a legal standing, it was the adult son that could receive the inheritance of his father. And you get everything that is Christ and everything that is God's because you are of the legal standing before God to be called his son or his child. But even better than that, you have a relationship. He goes on to say, and it says, God has sent forth the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And here, Paul chooses a very unique little phrase, Abba, meaning like the endearment term you would have for your father, Daddy, would be the term. And sometimes it sounds so funny because do we go before the Lord and say, Daddy. But Paul says, that's the relationship you can have with him. Maybe your earthly father didn't do that. And there wasn't much of a relationship with that person. Or you had a strained relationship with your earthly parents. But you always can go to your heavenly father and find a place of love. And a place that you can go before him in intimacy that way and say, Daddy. Wow. Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings us into that relational part of salvation. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. A slave couldn't do that, but a son could. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's how you get that. You're an heir through Christ. Well, we have the message of heaven's gift and and that's that, that third point. I don't know if I skipped that one or not. But anyways, referring to the very fact that um, we get, really we see how uh, this text shows us uh, the message about the Father. We can call Him our Father. It's much more than that. And then we're part of a greater family. You are now sons and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what uh, Paul says uh, in Ephesians. And I'm glad for that. That means that what's His is mine. And that means that someday we will be able to stand before him in the very presence of him in heaven eternally. And we stand there based on his righteousness, not our own. And we will stand there uh, as his children forever. What a great hope. All that's wrapped up in the Christmas story. It's all part of it. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful thankful that you sent forth your son in the very fullness of time born of a woman born in a virgin's womb born from a virgin's womb Lord thank you for that that sin did not touch you but rather O oh God you were exalted preeminent 
Your birth was like none other. Your gift is like none other. We thank you that you are the only begotten Son of God. And I pray during this Christmas season, Lord, we'd understand that, we'd know that. And, oh, Lord, we'd tell others of of that, of the greatest gift that's been ever given. So, Lord, as we go out of here today, I pray you would just help us to think on these things and appreciate them even more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.